Well, believe it or not, this is the last time we're going to be in Mark for a little while. I know, we've been there for a really long time, since the beginning of uh, the year, in fact. Um, but next week starts Advent, and so we're going to move into our Advent season. And the Advent season is the hope of the coming Christ. And so we're kind of doing it in a little reverse order today. Um, next, next week we'll focus on the hope of the coming Christ. Here today we're focusing on the Christ as we have Him revealed to us in Scripture. And if you remember last week, uh, we, we really entered into some very difficult passages some very difficult words from Jesus to his disciples where he says, hey, come follow me, but here's what following me looks like. It looks like you're going to die to yourself. It looks like you're going to lose everything for the sake of Christ and his gospel. That's what it means, that you're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow me. And they don't even know really what that means because they haven't even seen Jesus take up his cross yet. But they do know enough about the Romans and, and the, the occupied territory that they're in that, that, that crosses are bad things. So they're going to have to take up some hard things to follow Jesus. And the beauty of it is that immediately following that passage, we move into the transfiguration. And Jesus knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing with this perfect plan that he has to, to raise up these 12 disciples, and there's more than the 12 that are listed, but, but those are the ones that he really focused on. And then he actually takes three aside, and, and, and a little more intentionality even with those three, with Peter, James, and John. And so we see that today. I'm not good with illustrations. I'm learning. I'm, I, I think it's part of my growth, right, as a, as a pastor and as a preacher. But, but thankfully, God is kind. And last night, we watched Pete's Dragon. And so... Uh, I was thinking about it this morning, and I'm thinking, man, that's, that's a great illustration of the transfiguration. Like, they, they had this thing that they couldn't see, but they believed was real. And then even there's some parts in it where, where uh, Elliot, the dragon, reveals himself to people as they would believe in him. And, and so we have this kind of parallel there. And then what's really cool is sometimes Pete would go up and he would touch the dragon, and the dragon would actually transform and, and what was dull becomes even more radiant and bright. All right, so that's it. That's my illustration. Like I said, I need work. We're going to get there. But the beauty of it is that uh, God is kind to us. That's really where I'm going with that illustration. He loves me, and he allowed me to watch Pete's Dragon. My daughters and I, we were crying. Randy came in at the end, and she's like, what is going on? And I was like, it's beautiful. It's really sad. Um, but So if you get a chance, watch Pete's Dragon. But, but really what we need to look at is, is not some mythical fairy tale. What we need to look at is Jesus today. And what we have in Scripture is we have Him revealed in His glory. Revealed in His glory to Peter and James and John. They, their eyes are opened and they see Jesus as He actually is in the radiant form of the Son of God. And so I pray that today, even as we have a hard time believing in things that we haven't seen, that we would believe that that's true this morning. So let's ask God to do that. Lord, would you give us eyes to see your glory today? Will you open your word and, and allow it to penetrate our hardened and, and oftentimes rebellious hearts? Would you give us the gift of faith and belief, Lord, not in uh, a Disney movie, but in 
your word and in your truth and in the reality that Jesus is both fully human and fully God, fully divine. Lord, we long to know that and believe it because we believe that that's, that is true. And yet we struggle with belief. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would help us today. Not just us here in this pavilion, Lord, but your church throughout the world, Lord, that, that as people would hear about Jesus, that their eyes would be open today and they would believe that you are the Son of God. Lord, and that would be the proclamation and confession of their lips. Lord, and that their, their lives would begin to ch- change. Lord, they would repent of the way that they were living as though they were their own God and they would submit to you. Lord, begin with us today. Change us today. We desperately need it. And so we ask you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we have some, uh, it's, a, it's a shorter passage, but there's a lot that goes into it. We've been given this picture of, of these two men, Moses and Elijah, that stand with Jesus. And so to, to, to be able to understand what that means, we're going to have to backtrack a little bit. But let's read uh, verses 2 through 4 together real fast. Verses 2 through 4, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. All right. We're walking with Jesus. We're trying to picture this together. We're walking with Jesus. We're Peter, James, and John. But I mean, put yourself really in Peter's shoes, because that's, that's really where we all rest. We, we struggle with Jesus revealing himself, and then we're like, yeah, you're the Messiah. And he's like, yeah, I am the Messiah. And then he says, and the Messiah is going to suffer and die. And we're like, no, that's not, that's not what we wanted. We didn't sign up for that piece of it. We just want the glory piece. And so we're, we, we respond like that. When Jesus calls us to follow him and to walk and to give up our lives for his sake, our flesh, our sinful nature responds like, no, that, that can't be right. Similar to Peter. And so last week Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Like it's the strongest rebuke you can think of. Because Peter's idea was, he was focused on man's ideas and man's wants. And Jesus calls him to focus on what God wants and God's plans and God's intentions. And then he says, what does that look like? It looks like you come and you follow me. That you give up your life so that, you, so that it would be saved. That's Peter, and and now Jesus takes Peter and James and John, and they go with him up to a very high mountain. This high mountain piece is, is, if you read Scripture so many times, things happen on top of mountains. Where did Moses get the Ten Commandments? On top of a mountain, right? Elijah, he goes and and the presence of God is presented before him in the thunder and in the earthquake and in the still small voice, happens on a mountain. Okay? So many things happen on top of mountains. And so Jesus leads these three men up on top of the mountain. Now Matthew's account says that they fell asleep and then they woke up and that's when they saw it. Mark doesn't give us that. Mark just says, hey, they went up and then all of a sudden there appeared with Jesus Elijah and Moses. And if you are in Rome, which is where we believe that Mark is writing this letter to, to the, to the church in Rome, 
you have an idea, if, if you have a Jewish background, which again, that's the belief that the church in, in Rome had a Jewish background and they're hearing this gospel, this good news. And so they already know who Moses is. But if we've forgotten, let me just recap for you. Moses is the one who led the people of God out of slavery and bondage while they were in Egypt. God called him, not because he was the guy to do it. Like if we looked at standards, we would say that's not the guy to lead them out of Egypt. He couldn't speak. He was scared. He often argued with God. You're like, that guy should not be the leader. Thank God he uses people that should not be leaders to lead his people so that he would be glorified and not man. But Moses led the people out of Egypt. God led the people through him. And, and so we, we have the, the plagues that God sent on Egypt to, to let them know, I am God. And then finally that Pharaoh released the people and they left out of Egypt. And they had to go through this big sea called the Red Sea. And God parted the Red Sea and Moses led the people. And then Moses led the people into the wilderness. Now Moses really messed up. He did not obey God. He took things into his own hand. And so actually Moses didn't even get to go into the promised land. Which is crazy because he's the guy that everybody lifts up to say, this is, the, this is the guy that we should all follow after. If we could just be like Moses. And Moses messed up so bad he didn't even get to go into the promised land. But this is, this is the pillar of their religion at that time. The other pillar... So, so Moses the Redeemer, Moses the Rescuer, Moses the one who would take them and, and save them. And then Elijah. Elijah was called by God to declare really bad news most of his life to people. Most of his life he spent declaring to kings of God's people that they were wrong, that they have abandoned God, and that he was going to bring judgment upon him. But Elijah was, was so feared and respected, like literally feared and respected, that people would chase after, many people tried to kill him. I, I had to reorient myself with Elijah's story this week, because I was like, man, I don't know. I, know, I know a little bit about Elijah, but I want to know more about Elijah. Elijah was a powerful prophet that no one hung out with. He was all by himself most of his life, from the time of his calling, to finally when, when he has to raise up Elisha, to be his successor. And then Elisha, this beautiful story of how Elisha follows him and won't, won't turn back even when he tells him to turn back. But eventually, Elijah is taken up to heaven to be with God. Like, he doesn't die. That's, the, that's one of the crazy things about Elijah, is that he didn't die. He was taken up in a chariot of fire to heaven with God. And we know because Elisha was with him and he saw him. But the really cool thing about Elijah and Moses is that both of them saw God. Both of them had a very intimate and personal experience with the holy and righteous God. Now, they could not see him. And if you go to Exodus 33 and 34, you have the beautiful account of Moses going in and, and God says that I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and my glory is going to pass by you, but you can't look directly at it. You'll see my back, but you, if you were to see me, you would die. And Elijah is the same way on a mountain where, where God comes to him and first he comes in, in, in thunder and in, in the storm and then he comes in the earthquake and in fire and God's not in any of those things and then in a still small voice he whispers to Elijah. And Elijah goes out 
And he experiences the presence of the holy God. Now both those men are renowned for that. And here they are talking to Jesus on the mountain. And Peter and James and John are like, do you see what I see? Peter just starts talking because he's so scared. <laughs> like he d- th- thank goodness, right? Well, uh, some of us respond that same way, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But, but the reality of their eyes being open, they see the glory of God. Jesus' face was not the face that they were used to. It wasn't the, the humble and, and, and meek face of Jesus that they had seen. It was the radiant, dazzling, glorious face of the conqueror, of the one who would come and defeat sin and darkness. The one that they longed for. The one that Peter had earlier said, you are the Messiah. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's the one that I want. And so God in His kindness gives these three men this glimpse of glory. He reveals himself to these disciples. The question becomes, why? Like, why? Why? What is the story? What's the point of the story for the kind of the, the telling of what's going on? Like, it doesn't move us in the passion story where Jesus had just told us he was going to suffer and die. What is the point of this? And the point of this is that these disciples, these men who are going to go and they're going to follow Jesus, they're going to take up the cross, they are going to follow Him, they're going to go out and they're going to evangelize to a world and establish Christianity, they're receiving a glimpse of the glory that, that would come. Because while Jesus is both fully human and, and the suffering that He's going to experience, He's calling them to also suffer, He also promises that we will receive Glory with him. Second Peter verses uh, chapter one, sixteen through eighteen says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. This is Peter writing to the church. He's writing to the church and he's telling them, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. Listen, this is why, this is the reason that the story is happening. Jesus is revealing himself in his glory to his disciples so that they would know. Because they need this encouragement. They need this reminder because they're going to, What's coming next is going to be so hard and so difficult. They're going to see their master die. They're going to reject him. They're going to run from him and not even want to be seen with him. And so they need an encouragement that he is who he says he is. That he is both son of man and son of God. We're going to skip verses 5 and 6 and we're going to come back to them. But verse 7 and 8 And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. This cloud 
also, you got mountain and you got cloud. Both of those things, man, when those things happened in the Old Testament, something was going on. When the cloud would descend on the tabernacle, no one went in. No one would go into the tabernacle because that meant that the presence of God rested there. And they knew that they could not be in the presence of God and live. And then when the cloud would lift up, it would turn into this pillar and it would either be a a pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night and they would follow wherever that pillar would lead them. Listen, if you're starting to see some parallels here between following God in the cloud and following Jesus, which is what He's calling His disciples to, it's you're supposed to. We're supposed to follow God in the way that He is leading us. And so... The, the, the cloud falls, and they look around, and all they see is the cloud. And often that's representative of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, that, that would be the manifest presence of God. And so now they don't have the two, they don't have the prophet, and they don't have the redeemer and the, the, the rescuer in front of them anymore. Now all they have is this cloud, and in this cloud they hear the voice, and it's the same voice they've already heard. Can you imagine God's kindness that? That to, to these men, that they get to hear God's voice twice. And the beauty of it is he's saying the same thing. So it sounds really familiar. This is my son. This is my beloved son. They heard it at the, after his baptism. Remember? That's this beautiful picture where out of the baptism, Jesus comes out of the water, and then all of a sudden the clouds open up, the sky opens up and, and they hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And that's this initial driver for them. Man, that guy, there's something special about him. We're going to follow him. And so they've followed him and they've seen him do all these miracles and now he's saying, oh, but this isn't, really, this isn't the whole reason that I've come. I've come for more than this, not just to save individuals, but to save a people for myself. And so the road is actually going to become harder and it's going to feel like taking up your cross and following me. It's going to feel like dying to yourself every day and some of you are actually going to die. Will you still follow me? And then they hear it again. The same voice that spurred them on the first time comes from heaven and says, this is my son, my beloved son. You should listen to him. Do what he says. Like this thing, this new thing that he's talking about that wasn't just healing and saving and reconciling, but it was actually looks like suffering and dying. He says the Son of Man has come and he's going to suffer much and he's going to be rejected. When would they need that encouragement? They need it right now. And they hear this voice from heaven. They see the presence of God in the cloud and they hear the encouragement that they need. You see, the story is, is establishes Jesus' identity as the Son of God. And it establishes Jesus' identity as the Son of God just for Peter, James, and John because Jesus then tells them, don't tell anyone else about this until after the resurrection. And now they're thinking, man, resurrection? Like, you're talking about things I don't understand. This can't be that bad that somebody's going to die and yet... Everything's pointing to that truth. All of Jesus' words, all of His calling, all of His exhortation is to to the fact that He's going to die. The Son of Man is going to suffer and be rejected and die. But wait, because there comes a resurrection. 
Listen, I uh, told you we'd circle back around to Peter. Peter longs for that reality now. He longs for the glory now. He says, hey, God, this is awesome. What if we just build three tents, tabernacles, and you guys can each live in one, and we'll take care of everything else, and it'll be, like, this is what we need. This is what I was talking about, Jesus. And yet Peter's, he's so scared. (laughs) He's just just rambling. He's just so excited and, and scared and fearful. And I don't even know if he's fearful of of what he's seeing or if he's fearful of what he knows is true. As God is calling him to to come and follow him. If there's another way, Jesus, can we do it the other way? Not the way of suffering and death. And they even even ask him at the end of this passage, like, doesn't Elijah have to come? He says, yes, Elijah has to come, and he has. He has. But Peter, in his humanity, longs for that glory and that presence now. Listen, can we confess that we do the same thing? We long for everything to be perfect right now. We get glimpses of it and we just want to hold on to it because if we could just stay there, life would be so much better. And yet, Jesus has come both to give the ultimate glory, to to be the manifest king on earth. But he's also come to be the suffering servant. So that when we suffer, we have someone who suffers with us. When we we walk through our humanity, we know that we have a Savior who has come and become fully human with us. God with us. For us. So even as we move into Advent and like that coming of God with us. I pray that this this season would be sweet. Like we, we have a hope. And a longing that, he's, that He would come and be with us. And He has. And He is. And so we get to rejoice in that today. And Peter's going to figure that out. Because like we said, he writes that letter. And it says, listen, there's a glory that He has. And last week we looked at his other letter where he says, if you suffer with Christ, you are already walking with Him. I'll read that to you. First Peter chapter 4. Because you need, you need to hear it. You need to hear both of them. What, what does Peter understand that would radically change his life from doubter to the one that everything would be built upon? The rock that the church would be built upon. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of the glory, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Listen, he, He's putting these two things together. He ties them together because Jesus has tied them together. Because Jesus has tied both suffering and glory together. Because at the cross, Jesus, the suffering servant, also becomes the radiant king of glory. At the cross, he defeats sin and death and becomes victorious in the resurrection. Sin has no more hold on those who are in Christ. Death has no more hold on those who are in Christ. 
If we are in Christ in the resurrection that He walked in, we too will walk in. The glory that He is walking in, the glory that we see His radiant, dazzling face, we too will reflect that same glory. See, the, the glory and the suffering are tied together for Peter. And they're tied together for us as Christians. When we look to Jesus, the one who has perfected it, one who has walked in perfect uh, righteousness even as he suffered, went to the cross for our sake, for people who deserve death and punishment and hell. He went to the cross and took that upon himself so that we then, now at that great exchange, at that atonement piece, if we are in Christ, if we would profess and confess that Jesus is Lord and repent and walk in his ways, then that means that now we are in Christ and the righteousness that He walked in is our righteousness. The communion that He walked in with the Father is our communion. The peace that He had knowing that His God, His, His Father was in complete control, we have when we are united in Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. Peter wanted to deny that the suffering would need to happen. No, we have Elijah, we have, we have Moses, we have everything that we need. We'll just stop right here. Let's finish the story here. Let's finish the story with this glory piece. But Jesus had glory that was coming for, for anyone who would believe in Him. And it was going to take the cross to make that a reality. Often we want glory without the cross and yet, the fullness of the story says that, that the only way that glory happens is because of the cross. The only way that glory would happen for us is if we are united with Christ through the cross. The last portion of our passage is verses 9 through 13. And it says, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that, that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. See, one thing is um, true in this passage, and, and uh, I love the way that uh, one of the commentators that I was reading put it. He said, listen, they, they've tried to, Peter tried to argue with Jesus the first time. He, he rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes him. So this time he's going to do it a little bit differently. He's going to remind Jesus of Scripture. Doesn't it say that like Elijah has to come first before any of this happens? Rather than a straight-up rebuke of Jesus, he's going to ask him some questions to try to, try to manipulate the conversation. Um, but the reality is that Elijah has come. They actually just saw Elijah. So this is pretty funny that he would say, doesn't Elijah have to come? Yes, but didn't you just see Elijah? Also, Elijah is closely tied to John the Baptist, right? The prophet who had come to prepare the way of the Lord, and he has come. And so when, when 
Jesus speaks of Elijah, and then he says, but Elijah did come, and they did to him whatever they wanted. He's quickly thinking of his cousin John. Listen, John came, and he, he proclaimed the good news, and people rejected him, and he was killed, and he was beheaded. Tim Keller puts it this way. One thing is clear to the disciples, though. By speaking of his resurrection here, Jesus is again pointing to his death. Remember that when Jesus told them, I'm the Messiah, but I'm going to suffer and die, Peter rebuked Jesus. Here again, Peter and the others pushed back, but this time they're a little more cagey. Why do the teachers of this law say Elijah say that Elijah must come first, they ask? You see, the Old Testament book of Malachi prophesied that Elijah would return before the day of the Lord when God will appear and make everything right. So the disciples are saying, hey, we just saw Elijah up there. The day of the Lord must be near. Why all this talk about death? Elijah is here. Jesus lays them flat. I tell you, Elijah has come. And they have done to him everything they wish, just as it was written about him. Jesus is saying that the Elijah that the prophet was pointing to was John the Baptist, and he has suffered and died. Elijah has come and gone. And he repeats that it is written that the Son of Man must suffer much. Just as Elijah's coming was a herald of the Lord's coming, so Elijah's execution, John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod, is a herald of the Lord's execution. Not only has Elijah come in the, in the person of John the Baptist, but he's actually uh, given us a foretaste of what's to come for Jesus. John the Baptist was executed. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is executed, but Jesus too, is executed by the same people that he has come to save. These people, maybe uh, the crowds that are following Jesus now, are going to become the crowds that shout and scream, crucify him. Because our hearts are fickle. And before we start to condemn them and and put ourselves in the, the camp of the disciples, like all the disciples are going to run away from Jesus. They won't stand with him when he's being executed. And so there's no one in the story that does the right thing except Jesus. And he does it perfectly. And so even as they begin to to try to manipulate the conversation, Jesus comes back and he says, but listen, in verse 12, he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written, the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? What we're given today is this glimpse of glory. But what we're also given is the continual call to follow the suffering servant. To walk in the way that looks like dying to yourself because, you're gonna, because Jesus is going to die. And he's calling his disciples to the same thing. This whole story is for our benefit. So that we too would see that, that there is an ultimate end that ends in glory. For Jesus and for those who would be united with Christ in His name. It's recorded for the church. Both that church that was suffering in Rome at that time, Mark's writing to them saying, hey, as you suffer, you have one who has suffered with you, but there's a glory to come. And it's written to us even as we suffer today. You see, the reason Mark relays this story is so that we would believe that the Son of Man is also the Son of God. A very clear picture. The radiant face of Christ. The glowing with the the Shekinah glory of God. 
That's what the disciples see. That's what they record. That's what Peter tells Mark and he writes down so that the church would be able to know that this Jesus, the one who's going to suffer and go to the cross, is also the radiant Son of God. Today I would echo the call of the saints that have gone before us and I would call each of us to repent and believe this gospel. To repent from trying to do it our own way, of trying to establish our own tents and tabernacles in the moment, to try to build our own kingdoms and to trust the one who has built the kingdom perfectly. I would call you to repentance and belief that this is true. It's hard to believe it to be true. It, it, it really challenges our understanding of uh, reality, our understanding of, of evidence, and yet we have eyewitnesses who have told us that this is true. So I would call you to belief today. Trust that while you have not seen His glory, Peter, James, and John did, and they testified to it for us. That's good news for us today. Like when we read this story, we should get excited about Jesus coming again. Because in that moment, we will see, just like Peter and James and John, the radiant face of the sun. We will see him establish his perfect kingdom. We will rejoice and we will worship and we will be satisfied as we've never been satisfied before. And God will be more glorified than we've ever, we could ever imagine. We believe that Jesus has come and he's inaugurated this kingdom of God and he will return to establish this perfect, perfect kingdom, this glorious reign when all suffering will end and there will be no more sadness because all will be made right by the righteous king. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, I want to leave you with this this morning. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's talking about Elijah and Moses. All the prophets that are written in the Old Testament. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Listen, Jesus is the better Moses. He's the better Elijah. He's the better prophet. Hebrews takes uh, several chapters and explains how Jesus is better than all of these men. But what we have is we have Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus at the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Worshipping the God-man. He is the best. And so today I pray that we would believe that. Let's live out of that belief. Let's let that affect the way that we live. May the Holy Spirit lead us in the way of the King as we seek His kingdom come here on earth even as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. God, Lord, we pray that You would give us eyes to see and, and true belief, Lord, that we would grab hold of this this morning. God, in the application... Um, just becomes difficult for us. So like, what do we do with this? We believe. We believe, and then out of that belief, it changes everything. It changes the way we think and the way we talk and the way that we would uh, have relationship with people. God, it gives us 
an eternal hope rather than a temporary hope. So Lord, would we believe this morning? Help us even in our unbelief, Lord. God, we trust that we can cry out and ask for this, Lord, knowing that it's, it's your desire that your church would believe, would trust, would depend upon you. We thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.